This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. We're going to dive right into part two of Limitless, talking about faith and the story of faith and and having a limitless faith. Sometimes we settle into seasons in our life where we go through experiences that kind of put us in a, in a mode where we, we're reduced in our faith or we're not as strong in our faith. And, and I think that the Bible is written in such a way to help us through our seasons. Not everybody is caught up in the same season of life. You're gonna go through different changes in times. And as a pastor, I can walk through different appointments with people in, just in one day. I can have a couple walk in all excited about uh, their new baby and uh, the family that they're developing. And the next appointment can be somebody that is grappling with news of cancer. And some, I can get a text about 45 minutes later, somebody's celebrating uh, 10 years being cancer free and they're celebrating about it. So within the church, there's a lot of different life experiences and the reality is, is that we all have seasons. We go through different times and experiences and the type of faith that we need is the kind of faith that extends through every season, that works when you're on the top of the mountain and works when you're on the bottom of the mountain. And I'm telling you, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 25, about the story of the, the different uh, 10 virgins, and he uses that as an illustration, that there were five that were prepared for his return and five that weren't. And that at the end of time, that there are gonna be people that their faith, if they're not paying attention to their faith, they're gonna miss it, they're not gonna make it through. In fact, 50% of the people didn't make it in Jesus' illustration. I want everybody to make it. I want you to make it through your stories, and I don't want you to just be dependent on a charismatic preacher or services like this. Your faith works here, and it works in China. It works in South America. It works in every season of your life. It works in emptiness season. It works when you got little kids. It works when you're in retirement. It works when a loved one goes home. The faith that you have can work in every season of your life. Can I get an amen to that? And so I want to encourage you to stay on that journey because you're going to have different highs and lows. This week we're going to look at an experience in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elijah goes from the top of the mountain to the bottom in one moment. And uh, in my own life, I had a, a similar experience. Uh, when I had left Emmanuel, I was a youth pastor and went to North Central University, I kind of taken a step into a new direction. I was now preaching around the country in different environments and speaking into lives, training people to do ministry, and life was kind of taken off in a different way for me than I had anticipated. And now I had new opportunities. I was coaching football for my kids, uh, football teams, and you know, that's my sweet spot, right? Anything around football season. And, uh, and I, I, I was in a kind of a mountaintop experience. Everything was up and to the right. Everything seemed right. Perhaps you've been in your up and to the right season of life. You got the right job, you got promotions, things are going well, health reports are good, and all of those kind of things. And, uh, but I wasn't paying attention to every part, part of my life because I was burning the candle at both ends. I wasn't sleeping a whole lot. I wasn't uh, paying attention to some of the signs my body was giving me. And while I was on a ministry trip, I had a grand mal seizure. And that grand mal seizure, I went flat down. I was in the emergency room. What I went through in that experience was an illuminating moment. I went from the top to the bottom quickly. Now all of a sudden, I wasn't thinking about the future the same way. 
Now I had fears and worries. I didn't know what to do next. And the truth is, you and I will go through different types of seasons. You know, the lie is, the lie is that when you become a Christian, you'll never have problems. How many know that ain't true? What you will have is an ability to navigate your problems when you hit it. And for me, I had to discover a pathway through my challenges. We're gonna discover today a way to work through despair, how to overcome despair. How do you do it? How do you have a faith that overcomes despair? And we're gonna talk about it through the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah, it says in James 5, Elijah was as human as we are. So we can just right away say, no, he's not a different category. He's not a superhuman. He's not a Marvel hero. He's actually somebody just like us. So your objections, you can just take them out right now and recognize that what we see in Elijah can be found in you and that you can work through things just like Elijah had to work through his despair and his moment where he went from the mountaintop to the valley. In 1 Kings chapter 19, how to have faith that overcomes despair. Starting with verse one, you ready? It says this, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, now Ahab's a king, Jezebel's a queen, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. I'll talk about that in a moment. Including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow. By the way, I read that this morning, like fresh eyes. And I went, she said, may the gods strike me and kill me by this time tomorrow. Her gods couldn't do anything. She was still alive the next day, Okay. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life and he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So here's what happened. He had reached the point in his story, the apex of his career. He had declared to Israel, there won't be any rain because you all aren't following Jesus. You're not following Yahweh. This is Old Testament times. You're not serving him and worshiping him only. See, in that time period, Elijah was sent as a prophet to speak to a nation that was following other gods. They were serving other cults, if you will. They weren't following the one true God. The same country, same nation that God had brought the Ten Commandments to. And now they had drifted away from their original purpose of revolving around the one, around God. And so they had fallen away, so God in his mercy wants the people to turn back to him, and he sends Elijah to declare an end, a drought, that would cause, hopefully, people to begin to pray, to fast and pray and re- return to God. But they didn't do it. And so for years, they, there was no rain. Then Elijah comes in, and it was time. It was time for God to show up in a different way. And so he proposes this challenge. This challenge where it's God of Israel, the Yahweh, versus all the other gods. And these prophets of Baal that you see mentioned in the first three verses here. And there was this competition that occurred. And Elijah had gone through a series of things that are just amazing, where he upstaged all the other prophets, and God sent down fire to consume an altar, and then rain came. It was a powerful moment showing that God was the only one true God. Yahweh was the one to serve. And so Elijah's like, like if this was your job, you just won the Super Bowl. You just got a, you got like double pay raise. You got upgraded from back of the plane to first class. Everything was like up and to the right. 
This is the moment he had been living for, right? He, had, he was at the top. And then we read this. He hits the top, but guess who it challenged? It challenged the leaders that let, let the cults in, let the darkness into the land. And here Ahab and Jezebel, the king and the queen, who kind of governed together, were ticked because it threatened them. And the reality is in life that you can be moving along, doing all the right things, and you might be threatening somebody and you don't even know it. It could be a, a teacher, it could be a supervisor, it could be somebody in the county government, it could be wherever they, you're threatening them by the way you live. You didn't do anything wrong, but now it's caused them to be mad. And he, she sends a, a death threat. Now Jezebel has become synonymous over time with somebody who is controlling, okay? And by the way, guys, it's not just women who are controlling, hello? And it does take two. You can't have a Jezebel without an Ahab, hello? And so in this particular case, this is, this is coming at Elijah, and he knows they're in charge, and there are literally people that are paid assassins coming for his life. So he has a choice to make. Is it fight or flight? When you hit fear, what do you do? How many of you are fighters? Let me see your hand. How many of you, you're flight? You're getting out of dodge. You're not gonna stick around for that, all right. He takes off, and he's running, okay? And he hits despair, and we're about to see that the experiences around him do something to him emotionally. He begins to see the world differently, tomorrow differently. He no longer is planning long-term. He's afraid, he's worried. And he goes on a run with his servant, his partner, and he drops him off in a town. And there are experiences that we're about to see in the rest of this chapter, we're gonna go verse by verse here in a moment. But I want you to see, we can follow Elijah's journey and understand God's bigger than our fears. That God is bigger than our emotions. That God is bigger than our despair and our depression. That God has a way of taking you through what you're feeling. You don't have to stay in that moment. Because emotions are terrible at giving directions. When we're in our bottom, in our despair, in our depression, we might make wrong choices because our feelings say give up, quit, leave your marriage, get out of town, leave the faith. You don't want to be a Christian like those other people. In our emotions, we can miss the moment. In Elijah, God takes him through something to prevent him from losing it all. And I want to give you keys to faith that overcomes despair. The first one is this. It's okay to not be okay. Elijah didn't do anything wrong. He was afraid and fled for his life, but he didn't do anything wrong. And I think in the church, I want you to hear me from the pastor to a, a, a person who's attending, you would be considered one of the flock, if you will. I want you to hear some guidance here. You're gonna go through times when you feel stuff that you wanna hide, you wanna cover it up. Isn't that our first step? We cover up. And then we come to church and we think there's something wrong with us because I'm not okay. You might have messed up and done something this last week that you're very ashamed of. You might be in a place where you're feeling an emotion that you think Christians shouldn't feel. You might have debate going on in your brain and a tug of war and depression is settled in. And you come to church and you're like, I'm not like all these people. I can't be at church. I'm not like them. I'm not perfect. 
How many know there's no perfect people in church? We all got stuff. We all got those things that we don't want others to know about. But I want you to hear, God sees it all anyways. So when it comes to to where you are and God in your story, it's okay to not be okay. You hit those moments of emotional decline, it's all right. Two weeks after I had my grandma's seizure, we still didn't know what the cause was. I was going through testing and determining why it happened, did I need medication or not, and by the way, I didn't eventually. I just needed to make sure I got enough sleep, okay? But I was in a period of unknowns, it was yet to be determined stuff, that anxiousness about the future. And fear can lead to anxiety and other things, right? And then you're worried about things that could be, many different things. Some of you might lie awake at night, worried about the next day, okay? I was in that place, and I didn't even know it. And we went to the Mall of America, Jody and I did, and she had to drive. I couldn't even drive. I like being the guy. I lost my manhood. I couldn't drive the car. It was like, whoa. I was like feeling bad about that. We get to Mall of America, take the boys, the amusement park in the middle, and, and uh, we're walking around. I'm starting to feel weird in my stomach, and something's not right, and I don't know what it is. So I'm like, I need to sit down for a little bit. I go to Starbucks with one of my kids, and Jody takes the other ones out to go on some rides, and then I started feeling worse and worse and worse. And then I couldn't breathe and I sit down and I take my cell phone and I ask my son, call, call mom up, I need help. And she comes over and they get the medical personnel and I could hardly breathe and I'm sitting down. And of course, as that's happening, I'm feeling more and more like the sky is falling in and my chest is heavy. And I'm wondering if I'm having a heart attack and is this the end? And all these things are coming at my head. And they put an oxygen mask on me for about a half an hour, and I started coming back to what I had had was a panic attack. You know, and I always thought, that's other people. Other people have panic attacks, right? Not me. I'm a person of faith. I'm a preacher of the word. I tell other people how to live. (laughs) What's going on? But it was okay to not be okay that I needed to stop trying to cover up and present something. I needed to deal with what was going on on the inside of me. I needed help. I needed something to help me. And this leads to the second point, and it's this. It's not okay to go it alone. It's not okay to go it alone. Because the longer we go alone, the darker it gets and the less help we have on our way out. Elijah started his journey with his servant, verse three, Then he left his servant and Beersheba. Not a good idea. Now, he might have been protecting his servant from getting attacked by an assassin, but really it was not a good idea for Elijah to go the next stage of the journey by himself. Because then we discover, as it says in verse four, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Look what happens to him. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I mean, no, it's not getting better right now. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He's going down that path from fear to worry to anxiety to settling into despair. And despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. 
It's getting sucked out of him, and he doesn't even have a desire to move into the future. And I've watched along so many people over time, and it hits you like that. You lose a loved one, and months later, nobody's asking you about your spouse that went to be with Jesus or your loved one that's gone. And now all of a sudden, it's sinking in, and you're in despair. I don't want to go any further. I've walked alongside many, many people who it's okay to not be okay. Their feelings are real. But I want you to see what Elijah did with his feelings. He talked to the Lord about it. He didn't hide it inside. He let it out. I want to die. It's not any better for me. What was it worth anyways? Here he had seen the Super Bowl win, and the very next moment he's on the run for his life. He's like, that wasn't even worth it. It's not okay to go alone. He needed help. And by the way, let me just mention this. Scripture does not avoid despair moments. Scripture, you look at it, people are at the bottom of the valley all the time. It's not always just win, 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 win. It does not avoid it. Lamentations 3.18. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. God is not afraid of our moments, and he allows us to vent in our moments. And here's the thing. When we're alone and we have a conversation with ourselves, how many know it can get worse and worse and worse and worse? So Elijah's in a dangerous place and he needed to not be alone. He needed to be connected. So let's go a little bit further. The third thing is this. Find a safe place to sit down when you are overwhelmed. Find a safe place to sit down when you are overwhelmed. Verse five, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Now, we've got a canoe up here. How many of you have ever been in a boat? Okay, you get in the boat and you're on the water. If you stand up, what are you feeling? You're a little bit overwhelmed, uncertain. Now, when you're in this state where you're only thinking about the worry about drowning or tipping over, you're not thinking about lunch plans tomorrow. You're not thinking about what am I gonna do next. You're not thinking what do I need to do for my business and how can we make good decisions. You're not thinking about what the Lord wants you to do with your life. You're thinking, I'm about to drown, okay? You're so consumed with the moment that you really can't think about anything else. So Elijah's in that moment. He's in despair. The world is spinning. He's ready to give up. He's ready to quit. He's ready to, you might be ready to forget your marriage vows. You might want to quit following Jesus, whatever your state is in. And it says that he laid down under the tree and he went to sleep. It's important for you when you're in the middle of that to sit down. So for sitting down for you, what is sitting down? Sitting down for you could mean stopping and recognizing I'm not in a good place. I'm not okay. Then it could be I need to take a nap. Now the person that just said amen to that, you can do that after the sermon, preferably. <laughs> for me, when I hit my diagnosis for why I had a seizure, it was a combo of lack of sleep and stress over a prolonged period of time. 
And the doctor said it's like the banks of a river. Stress and lack of sleep lowered the banks of the river until eventually the river spilled over. And I had been sleeping three to four hours a night for many years, trying to do everything. I was coaching, doing grad school, teaching, traveling and speaking, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to fit everything in. And I had prided myself that I could do a lot. And the doctor looked at me and she simply said, you need to have at least seven hours of sleep the rest of your life to build those banks back up. And I said, that much? That's how sick I was. Pride was in the way. But what she was telling me to do was to sit down. I needed to get into a place where I could receive recovery strength and build my strength back up again. She was saying, just sit down. And you know the difference between hope and despair? Eight hours of sleep. That's the difference. That's the difference between hope and despair sometimes. Sometimes you just need to go to sleep, take a nap, Take care of your body. Pay attention to where you're at. It may be I need to stop and I need to talk to somebody. I need to share what I'm going through. I might need to go to a counselor. Whatever it may be, you need to sit down. Listen, otherwise you make poor decisions standing up. You need to stop and sit down. Fourth, this is what I'm leading you to, pay attention to your needs. Some of us change the world and take care of everything else. We need to pay attention to our needs. Look at verse five. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and what? Eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. What we see here is an angel came in and sometimes it's an actual angel and sometimes God just sends somebody in the form of, of a, of a friend or a loved one or somebody that can help you out. And basically, he has to go through this process. He's sleeping, eating, drinking. Sleeping, eating, drinking. Sleeping, eating. He's recovering his strength. He had to go through a process. And that process included looking at his natural needs. What was he eating? What was he drinking? Is he getting enough sleep? And I want, I want to tell you this. When you're in despair, you need to pay attention to what your body is telling you. You need to pay attention to it. If you're stressed out and you got a headache, there might be a reason you've got headaches all the time. If you're in a place where you're always hangry, hello, you're always irritable, it might have something to do with what you're putting into your body. Pay attention to what your body needs. If you're working so hard early in the morning to late at night and you're like drained of your strength, maybe you need to change your schedule for work. Well, I got too much to get done. Well, maybe you're, you're, you're working too hard. You're swinging a dull ax. Maybe the work that you're doing isn't strong enough. It's not effective enough. So you need to change the way that you work. Others, you're in a place where I just can't get over it. I keep repeating the same lie in my head. I'm full of anxiety. I can't put my head on the pillow tonight. These things keep coming to my Maybe you need to seek some professional help. Maybe you need to go find a counselor. It's okay. Maybe you need to take a step to pay attention to your needs. Because until you do that, you're not going to be in a place where you can move forward. That process can take time. Give it time. Elijah went through this process. 
And God knows how to get you from here to there. Your job is to be faithful here, and he will get you there. Can I get an amen to that? And one of the biggest needs that we have is one that God talks about in the garden. When he said to Adam, it's not good that you should be alone. There's a sense of community that God has built. We need other people for our life health, for our story of faith, for iron sharpening iron, for the fruits of the spirit to be poured from one person to another. And when you become a Christian, it's not just about, hey, I got my salvation ticket punched for heaven. It's also about how do I live this life out? And we need other people. We simply cannot make it through our journeys and the experiences of life unless we have other believers that are part of the story. This is why it's a huge value for me as a pastor for you. You can't make it with strong faith without other Christian believers in your story. You need a spiritual community. You need people that will build your faith and be on the journey with you. All right, if you can consider what I've been talking about and paying attention to your needs, if you're really paying attention to your spiritual, emotional needs, you need other people. But then you need to do something else, and this is the fifth thing. Embrace the possibility of hope returning. See, when you're in doubt and you're in discovery and you're thinking the sky is falling and all is lost, there does reach a point when you've been restored and you've gone through the process where hope returns, that you aren't just eating and sleeping without a purpose, but you can go through a process so that you can travel to the next stage of your journey. And your purpose can outlast the pain. Your faith can grow. Listen to what Paul says about his own story and the leadership of the New Testament church in 2 Corinthians. He says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, and so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never what? It's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. Emmanuel's Sunday services can be seen live every week at 9 and 11 a.m. at emmanuelcc.org.